The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Speaking on the issues that impact, this is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, welcome back, folks. Welcome back. We're in the second hour of this live broadcast. Thank you for joining us. Big thank you to our contributors in the first hour, Basil Valentine, Blake Lovewell, great commentary, especially Blake, uh, really getting us into the nuts and bolts of the global economy. I think it's important that people get an education. We'll keep giving you that economic and financial education as things develop. The markets will be moving. There'll be major calamities, and you'll be ready for it. And uh, Blake will make sure that you are. So we're just getting started uh, in rolling out these master classes every week. We'll be doing it in a more formal fashion as well, be zeroing in on aspects of the economy. So we're working on a whole series of things with Blake uh, in the coming weeks and months. So I'm looking forward to tightening up uh, that part of our segment. It's going to be very insightful. Like I said, you know, previously, you know, we're not all professional market watchers. Uh, some of you work in finance, of course, you know a lot more than any of us uh but uh, cuz you're on the front lines but um for those of you who are sort of small investors or your savings you might have a little bit of gold a little bit of bitcoin you might have some money in uh, the stock market um, we'll be able to at least give you sort of a broader picture of how the whole system's working and give you just a little bit more information to help you become more educated as you make your own decisions uh, on how you're going to deal with what's coming around the bend. And there are some big things coming around the bend. We'll try to keep you abreast of any developments there. Now, uh, we're going to go over to Europe for a moment. And this, this story uh, very much piqued my interest and many others. Germany is a funny country. Uh, and that's an understatement. Uh, Germany has got a major identity crisis. They don't know who they are. Uh, they're still plagued with guilt uh, from their past. Uh, they want to be seen by the international community as doing the right thing. But then they're also under the thumb of the United States. So they have to acquiesce to whatever Washington wants. And therefore, they're not really independent in terms of policy. So it's just a basket case uh, politically. So uh, through through all this chaos or whatever, the alternative for Deutschland, the AFD party, alternative for Germany, they emerged as a sort of anti-EU, um, definitely anti-lockdown during the COVID farrago, more of independence in terms of foreign policy. They're not really that uh, keen on the Ukraine war, uh, things like this, overseas interventions, throwing uh, hundreds of billions of dollars to Zelensky. All these things the AFD seems to be more or less opposing, and also the, the failed green policies. The green energy has been a disaster, as have sanctions against Russia. So the AFD on many of these issues, not all of them, and maybe not as much as they should, but that said, it's the only sort of major opposition party in Germany. And their sort of heartland comes from very much uh, working class areas. And also they have a strong foothold as well in the East, uh, former East German parts. So the German establishment is trying to ban the AFD. And so this is a, this is a party that has, uh, you know, arguably um, almost a working majority uh, in the German parliament. You can't just go and ban them. And one of the best political commentators on this is uh, Tariq Cyril Amar. He's a historian from Germany, often pens things on his substack, of course, excellent substack, Tariq Cyril Amar. We'll get him on the show to talk about this story uh, later in the week, I think. Uh, but he's basically saying this is a really bad idea. 
And with really bad ideas, says Tariq, you can often ask two pertinent questions. First, why will it not work? Second, why would it be harmful if it did? Um, that rule holds in Germany, where the real bad idea banning the party alternative for Deutschland, AFD, is currently getting much debate. I can't think of a worse thing that German can do at the moment. The background of this debate is simple, says uh, Tariq. Founded a decade ago, the AFD has established itself as a lasting feature of the political landscape, a populist right-wing party, roughly comparable to, for instance, the Austrian FPO. It brings together politicians and voters uh, across a spectrum of positions, the AFD. This spectrum ranges from very solidly conservative to the far right. So it's a pretty broad, in terms of right-wing parties, fairly broad tent there, says Tariq, and he continues, still comparatively small. The AFD is significant with a current uh, just over 40,000 uh, paid members, I guess, in Germany. Uh, it holds 78 of uh, 736 seats. Now, that might seem like not like it's not much, 78 out of 736 seats in the Bundestag. But if you think about all of these coalitions that are stitched together in order to form governments in Germany, that's basically how it's done. Um, that is a pretty sizable number. You could even say, in some cases... It's the beginnings of a working majority in terms of leading or putting a coalition together in the next election. The immigration issue also looms very large in Germany. It's a very emotive issue, especially around election times. That also plays into the AFD's platform like it does in many other countries, uh, especially right-wing parties tend to latch on to the immigration issue and really put it at the forefront of their campaign in any election cycle. So the AFD is no exception there. But to, for, for, the, for the German establishment to then go to ban this party, um, I think I can't think of a worse possible thing they can do in, in terms of the optics. Now, mind you, this is a German state that has basically gone and basically uh, told South Africa in the International Courts of Justice that their claims of genocide against Israel are totally illegitimate, almost you know deriding them publicly for it, taking the side of Israel. Um, so you know if the if it's if this is about fears of fascism or fears of you know right-wing extremism i can't think of anything more right-wing extremist than for a government to defend a country who's engaged in genocide and go and attack the country who's bringing the case to the icj the, uh, a, a country that was an apartheid country in south africa uh, achieved liberation uh, and now are now defending clearly the underdog uh, in this story between Palestine and Israel. And I can't think of anything uh, that's more fascist than trying to basically attack South Africa and defend Israel on this. It is just mind-boggling. And not only that, Germany is backing effectively through NATO and through its military support for Ukraine are backing some of the worst Nazi factions that have ever emerged on the European continent since World War II. The Azov battalions and just the uh, sort of institutionalized uh, extremism, you could say, within the ranks of the Ukrainian armed forces, the body politic and, and, and society, civil society as well. Very corrupt. There's a lot of Nazi ideology, Nazi presence. It's very much features throughout the Ukrainian uh, hierarchy uh, in these institutions. And Germany is giving it full backing. It's not opposing it. 
It's not calling for the denazification of Ukraine. I mean, is is really beyond the pale? So, to 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 point to the AFD as uh, this sort of you know major sort of threat to German society, uh, I think that's a little bit of a stretch at this point. Um, but then again, you know, one person's a far right is another person's centrist, depending on where you are uh, in the world right now. Things are shaking up on the political paradigm uh, right across the continent. So uh, Germany's got its challenges. I think Germany's biggest, uh, one of their biggest threats, besides Brussels ceding their foreign policy uh, to to Brussels, is the fact that they're occupied by the United States. Their military occupied, their intelligence services are occupied, their media is occupied. Germany is an occupied country still after 80 years, 80 years after World War II. And uh, all they are at the moment is a launching pad for NATO. They're NATO's foothold, America's foothold in Europe, their biggest foothold. So Germany's got problems, and I don't think the AFD is one of them. What I think the problem is with the establishment in Germany and the United States is the AFD is pushing for some different policies, especially regarding foreign policy. That's when the United States gets very interested at that point. So whenever you're seeing the opposition to some of these policies, I mean, Christine Anderson, she's an MEP. I think she's AFD. She was a big uh, person who opposed the vaccine mandates, the lockdowns, the WAF agenda coming out of Davos. Um, she's AFD. She opposed all these things. A lot of people around the world support her. So it's not as straightforward as uh, people might think. Certainly not as straightforward as the German mainstream press is framing this issue at the moment. I think this is going to gestate and get more interesting, uh, especially with the coming election cycle in Germany. We'll try to report on that. And again, as, like I said, we'll bring on uh, Tariq uh, onto the program, hopefully in the next week or so. Uh, we'll try to reach out to him to get comment on this. This is a fascinating story. Look, what we're going to do right now, however, is we're going to take a break with the network with TNT, Today's News Talk. And when we come back, we could connect with an amazing investigative journalist who's going to be joining us, Kit Clarenberg. We've got a lot to discuss because there's a lot going on in the world. So stay right there. We'll see you in a few. TNT's Darren Denslow. Yeah, I'm talking about the illness. Actually, that has done, has been doing the rhymes. Not have we only seen a, uh, a mass influx of people waving their COVID tests online. Look, I got a red line. It's like, oh my God, people are testing. Or people, you know, trying to encourage others to wear their masks. Um, but there has been a talk of a dry cough. There have been doctors coming out saying we've seen loads of cases of that. Uh, have you been suffering from, you know, a bit of cough and flu or cold or COVID? Well, Darren, I, COVID. I, I just I just did my eighth test oh, and okay. um, I'm just going to keep doing it until I get lines and lines. Why? Well, because work's coming back up, isn't it? Digging deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk. TNT. Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn? He was the national security advisor to the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current 
uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son. And yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. This moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism, socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're in hour number two, this live broadcast. Thank you for, for rejoining us. And we're going to go into deep politics right now. I want to welcome uh, onto the show uh, an excellent investigative journalist, Kit Clarenberg, who writes for a number of publications, including The Gray Zone. We also will show his Substack column uh, later, and we'll put that up on screen as well. We want to follow his work and on social media as well. Kit, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's going okay. It's going okay. Uh, there's a lot going on. I don't know where to start, but um, I want to get your your take on a couple of situations. Um, I know that uh, you've been covering and writing about a lot of these sort of flashpoints right now. I mean, let's start with, with the situation in Palestine, Kit, because I think that's a, a real focal point uh, right now for global politics. I want to talk about the role uh, that, well, the U.S. and the U.K. are playing, European countries are playing in this. Um, and what do you see in terms of, is there any resolution on the horizon? Uh, go ahead, Kit. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think that, like, I mean, as as grindingly, egregiously awful uh, as it has been to watch on a minutely basis, like the genocide unfolding in Gaza. Um, you know, I mean, I joked the other day, um, although, I mean, it was I was only half joking about how my, my current daily routine is um, wake up, site, log into Twitter, be confronted with photos of dead or mutilated child, Palestinian children um, and want to kill myself. I mean, it, it, it is difficult, but I, I, I think that there is a major global sea change in perceptions afoot. A large number of Europeans who drank the Kool-Aid in terms of believing that the war, the, the proxy war in Ukraine was about defending sovereignty and democracy and liberty from um, fascistic barbarians at the gate are now wondering what the hell they were supporting, given the same 
officials in Brussels and Washington and London and other key um, imperial centers of power are now cheering and encouraging and facilitating far worse crimes against humanity um, uh, than uh, Russia has committed in almost two years of war um, in, in, in Ukraine. Um, Ursula von der Leyen, almost a year to the day that she called Russian attacks on electricity infrastructure in Ukraine a horrendous crime against humanity and, and terrorism, is mm. cheering uh, Israel shutting off Gaza's access to electricity, um, and 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 yes, uh, encouraging them to do this and go further. Uh, so I mean, there there is a, a revolutionary fervor in the air. There have been massive protests well, all over Europe and, and the US, which have gotten zero media coverage. People are shocked and appalled by this. It is a you know, we were we've been constantly told never again. Um, it's happening again. This is a 21st century Holocaust. Innocent people are dying in vast numbers. And all of the, the, the same people who preached about human rights and democracy and uh, are, are now utterly silent, if not actively cheering this genocide being carried out. Um, I mean, in response, there has been a massive effort by Western governments to crack down on, on freedom of speech, on, on dissent. Uh, there has been mass censorship. Uh, I gather that Elon Musk is you know, now currently visiting the, the Auschwitz Memorial um, with um, at the express behest of the, uh, the Israeli <laughs> lobby. Um, I've found that a number of, I mean, at the start of this, a number of my, my posts on Twitter went viral um, uh, about the genocide. Um, now I'm, I'm being throttled quite considerably. So there is a major backlash. Whether it will be effective um, is, is less than certain. And then I think that, if nothing else, the incredible resolve um, and indefatigability of the, the Palestinian people, the fact that they can still remain somehow optimistic that a better tomorrow is, is potential, if not likely, is really quite extraordinary. And I think that people should take, uh, people who are finding this quite difficult um, and, and unpleasant to follow should take um, some, some solace from that and some inspiration from it. Um, the same with Yemen. Um, you know, we see a country that has been bombed genocidally by the, a Saudi-led um, uh, Air Force coalition for, for almost a decade, where, where they targeted weddings and funerals and religious gatherings um, and fields and fishing boats to try and starve the population. They didn't yield. They didn't. They, they they didn't back down. And now they're continuing to refuse to back down. And they seem to have, on multiple occasions, inflicted completely flawless uh, defeats on the U.S. Empire without firing a shot. So I mean, yes, there is much cause for woe, but much cause for optimism as well i think i want to i want to talk about uh, yemen because the sure. geopolitical implications of this are huge but before we do that you mentioned something just now kit i think is really key you work mm -hmm. in the information space you're on the front lines of you could say the information war um, as a journalist and when the publications you're writing for including the gray zone definitely on the front lines of a lot of these mm -hmm. issues so you talked about that you know that how this has played out because do you remember you're browbeaten for any dissent on Ukraine when that situation kind of reemerged in late February 2022? Anybody with a dissenting opinion, suspect, potential Russian agents, browbeaten politically, and then accused of uh, undermining confidence in Western governments and the mainstream media even. And look at what's happening with this policy in Gaza. I mean, I can't think of anything that's undermining the people's confidence in government than backing Israel still after three months. 
I, I don't see anyone calling for a ceasefire. And the media are basically acting as a kind of surrogate for the Israeli government. So th this is like 10x worse than Ukraine, if you think about it, um, in terms of the blowback potential on this. Just your, your view of the information space and how governments, mainstream media are interacting with the public on this. Well, I mean, I, I think we're seeing a really a massive and indeed unprecedented backlash against mainstream Western narratives on social media. Uh, so, for instance, to, to name but one example, um, Germany, because it is supporting Israel in South Africa's effort to hold Israel to account for genocide in the International Court of Justice, they submitted a lengthy, detailed and, and really quite perverse um, set of legal arguments for why it was okay for Israel to kill it, it unarmed innocent children with impunity in Gaza. And they used the argument that, well, um, as victims of a past genocide, um, uh, the, the, the residents of Israel cannot be held accountable if they try and defend themselves in this way. Um, I mean, I saw a large number of, um, of Africans on Twitter uh, make the obvious point that, well, um, well, if, I mean, if, if, if that's the precedent, then, well, we have had genocides inflicted upon us upon European powers. That means it's okay for us to start massacring Germans and Belgians and French and British citizens with, with total impunity. You know, like, like people are waking up to this and um, and the only response that imperial powers have is to just ignore them and pretend they don't exist. And I think that, I mean, that, that that's a balancing act that can only be conducted so far. Again, to bring this back to Yemen, um, uh, Joe Biden was recently asked whether the airstrikes that were carried out completely illegally and without um, parliamentary or congressional approval um, on Yemen by Britain and the US were uh, succeeding, whether they were effective. And Biden kind of in his usual mumbling uh, manner said, uh, well, no, but they're going to continue. Like, I mean, that's all the empire knows how to do is just is, is just carry on as normal and pretend this isn't happening. Um, the reality on the ground, uh, th th there are all, all sorts of, um, of disjunctures and, and, and flashpoints that power is really not waking up like the waking up to because they can't admit it um i mean you, know, you mentioned ukraine that is a huge defeat uh for nato for western powers they threw everything um including the kitchen sink at russia we were told m multiple times um at the start of this that oh well the sanctions are going to crush russia's economy and actually they bounce back hard they better than ever like you know the internal investment is at record levels unemployment is at record lows um the, uh, and that they are amply demonstrated to the world that actually holding your money in western banks is a very bad thing because uh, due to the political wills of, of supposedly elected leaders, they can just seize it if they want. I mean, it's piracy. Uh, there's a, we are have, seeing a record amount of international transactions in trade being conducted in non-dollar um, uh, 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 currencies, which is a huge seismic development, which is not being faced up to um, by Western powers. And so, yeah, like I mean, I think that there, there is a kind of we're at the emperor's new clothes 
um, uh, stage of the empire where the, the US is just continuing to pretend that it is a um, completely invincible, uh, unparalleled global hegemon with the right and the power to govern the entire world. And the, much of the world is just continuing as if they don't exist. Um, and, and on a personal level, people are do, people are doing this. People are doing this too. Um, I'm seeing an enormous amount of uh, pro like pro like pro Palestinian protests uh, in the UK um, and, and 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 Amsterdam and Berlin, where people are holding signs saying "Thank you, Yemen." Um, I mean, the U.S. recently just designated the entirety of of, of Yemen um, as uh, as a terrorist group. I mean, it's it's a country, um, you know, and, and 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 but people don't care. I mean, Yemenis don't care. They're now um, boastfully saying, you know, my dear fellow terrorists, uh, when they address each other. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a very very interesting time, um, and in in many ways an exciting time to be alive. It is a pity this is coming off the back of so many. Uh, so many deaths and so much destruction um but yeah i mean again like you know co like causes for optimism uh, there is a uh quite an interesting i think it was the wall street journal i'm, I'm not sure it was it was a, it was a major liberal publication that recently it reported on how european officials were well aware that uh by backing supporting the israeli genocide in gaza that they were destroying any hope of winning hearts and minds in the global south. I mean, I think that that is a recognition that they, they knew they'd already lost. And so it's an I, I, you can't fire me, I quit type situation where they're claiming to somehow still maintain the moral high ground, even if you know, nobody agrees and nobody cares. We've seen recently Tunisia hand back tens of millions in EU aid because they said they didn't want it because there were too many strings attached. Uh, yeah, this is a period of major unrest. And I, I made this point on Twitter earlier today, the US's strategy for dealing with the Houthis, because they have suggested that they will they will launch a ground invasion of Yemen, which is just complete, completely insane, um, and will create yet another unwinnable quagmire in which lots of uh, US citizens will be killed um, because they're serving with the US military. Um, the, the US officials admitted to Politico very quietly that their strategy in the Red Sea was just wait for China to step in, um, which of course, I mean, you know, the US has almost overnight been reduced to the status of Britain, just this kind of chihuahua uh, yapping and hoping that some someone bigger and richer and stronger will come to their rescue. But the reality is that chi like Chinese ships are not being harassed in the Red Sea because they oppose the Israeli genocide. Right, so China's not going to come to the U.S.'s rescue, um, uh, and the U.S. has run out of options. Like I said, the, 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 with much fanfare, Washington announced a you know seven-nation uh, naval flotilla that was going to go and bop Yemen under the under the rather bizarre name Operation Prosperity Guardian. Um, and then it collapsed before it was even launched. Multiple countries said, actually, we'd want nothing to do with this. The the UK, um, because of course, uh, still clinging on for dear life to the to the empire's coattails, uh, said that they were still signed up to it. And then they quietly conceded they were having to to decommission frigates because they have so few few staff. And then in a in a really amazing incident on the 18th of January um, on the coast of Bahrain, two of their major ships smashed into each other. So I mean. <laughs> again without a shot being fired you know flawless victories over the empire
No, it is incredible. All the things that you mentioned with uh, going back to sanctions uh, that have pushed people out of the U.S. dollar, pushed Russia towards China, uh, having the world looking east, having the global south looking east, two big players emerge, Mm -hmm. South Africa as as a moral voice on the world stage when no one else did, Yemen emerging as a you know, the only one who's willing to sanction Israel and back it up with hard power. So are we seeing a multipolar, th- that multipolar world that everybody is talking about, are we actually seeing this emerge right now? Or or is this the sort of birth pangs of, of a multipolar world? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think this is absolutely the birth pangs of a, of a multipolar world. I mean, you could even go back, back to January 2022, where Russia... Uh, signed a uh, a agreement of friendship with with China. Now the terms are really quite extraordinary, and they're worth pouring over. Now it stated that the relationship between Russia and China knows no bounds. There is going to be cooperation between these two nations in every conceivable economic and political sphere, um, and then all sorts of other like, small but seismic developments, such as China stating that they were going to start teaching Russian in Chinese schools automatically, almost overnight. That's a billion new Russian speakers in the world. Um, and, and then, you know, fast forward to today and you hear US leaders, are, one of the arguments for ending the proxy war in Ukraine is it's pushing Russia and China too close together and they want to stop that. Um, you know, talk about like trying to close the, the stable door long after the horse has bolted. Like, I mean, we, we, we are living in a world where the people who claim to rule us absolutely are not in control anywhere apart from in their own minds. Um, I mean, yeah, as I say, it's an exciting time uh, to, 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 be, to be alive. Um, I, I, th- I think we shouldn't be surprised if we see, if, sorry, if, if we are very surprised by, by what happens next. I mean, I'm sitting in a, a country now that was destroyed criminally and brazenly by NATO tw- almost 25 years ago. We're coming up to the 25th anniversary. It was based entirely on lies. It was done with total impunity. NATO committed war crimes like deliberately targeting a, a civilian in homes and schools and hospitals. And they sold this as a major uh, moral victory. Um, People here live with the legacy of that to to this day. But um, I mean, when uh, Odessa, so um, I'm I'm absolutely convinced that in probably in the next few months, actually, we're going to see a major Russian move to seize territory like Odessa and Kharkiv, which are traditionally Russian um, oblast within within Ukraine, which were given to uh, uh, the the what, what was then a component of the Soviet Union known as Ukraine by successive Soviet leaders, and then that links Serbia with the with the black see via the Danube and it links it with Russia. Now there is a major US military base on Serbian territory known as Camp Bonsteel, which was constructed in, in, in Kosovo after the after the illegal bombing. Um, and it, 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 it supported the creation of, of an illegitimate narco-terrorist state in Kosovo, which unilaterally declared independence in 2008. Um, automatically, again, overnight, Russia then has Bonsteel um, on its doorstep by token of being connected with Serbia with Danube, it may well have a problem with this. It, uh, the, you know, this is an issue which is now going to be resolved. So, I mean, Trotsky, uh, I mean, as much as I loathe the guy, had a quote which was, um, war is what oils the wheels of history. I mean, if we think back to three years ago or even two years ago to this day, 
the fact that um, uh, the notion that, that Israel would be engaged in a, a, a total war with Hamas, and not only that, but like losing badly, like we're seeing videos all the time. But uh, like today, it was announced that the, the IDF was setting explosive charges in, in, um, uh, in, I think it was a school in Gaza, and then Hamas rocket struck and killing 21 um, Israeli soldiers. And meanwhile, Israel, uh, Israel is depopulating rapidly. People are fleeing. Um, psychiatrists are leaving Israel because they're finding the work of dealing with PTSD ravaged Israeli occupation force soldiers too difficult. And this seems kind of inconceivable. Um, you like like all, all of two years ago, the notion that Russia was going to be dictating terms to the West in terms of what it was going to do in Ukraine, what territory it was going to keep, uh, was kind of inconceivable. Um, but you know, but here we are. Um, there's the, the, there's another phrase which is you know gradually then rapidly. Um, we, the, the, we, I, I would see the first year or so of the war in Ukraine as the gradual part, and now we're into the rapid part. And who knows where we're going to end up. It's interesting, you know, you're talking about the decline mm -hmm. of the U.S. Um, as an imperial uh, power, as a, as a kind of unipolar hegemon, with Britain there at its side, of course. It's, uh, you know, Britain's the brains, America's the muscle. But um, <laughs> with, with the decline, with the decline, we'll get to that in a minute. With the decline mm -hmm. of the U.S., though, uh, where Israel used to be regarded as the tail wagging the U.S. imperial dog, Israel's becoming more like a ball and chain at the moment. Because uh, as the U.S. goes down, Israel goes down with it, and its clout diminishes uh, substantially. Where else can Israel go for sponsorship and protection and subsidies? And I don't see Europe as a as a natural uh, sponsor of Israel. They might try. I don't see anyone in Asia. Don't see anyone in Africa. Um, this is just, I think we're looking at a potential tectonic shift here in the Middle East. What do you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's, I mean, the timing is quite interesting on this. So, I mean, the end of end of World War II in 1945 marked the, the beginning of a global Pax Americana, really. Um, and a core component of that has been the existence of the, the state of Israel. Um, it is a completely illegitimate uh, colonial settler project. The real its realities have been obscured from Western populations for decades. Now we are seeing in brutal detail what this implies, which is you know a a genocide that that, that occurs at di at differing speeds depending on um, Israel's interests at a particular time. Um, Netanyahu the other day very boastfully admitted that he was going to just whatever the Hague, the, the ICJ said about Israel's conduct in the occupied territories, it was just going to keep going. And so, therefore, the entire credibility and legitimacy of the ICJ, which is supposedly an international uh, uh, force for justice, although, of course, the US is not only not signed up to it, but has a piece of legislation called the Hague Invasion Act, which in the in the event that US officials or soldiers or generals are held account for war crimes, the US will invade the Hague. Um, so, I mean, you know, the, again, the hypocrisy couldn't be, couldn't be writ larger. Um, the empire and its lackeys, including, yes, Britain and particularly Israel, have painting, painted themselves into corners. Um, it, it, it's interesting watching um, it, you know, Israel flail and desperately attempting to try and gain a, a foothold in the information war, which it has been losing desperately since the very start of this. I mean, doing desperate things like um, shuttling in Jerry Seinfeld to Israel so he can be pictured, you know, eating a falafel 
Um, and then you, and this is meant to boost their PR. Like people can see with their own eyes, like you know, what what's happening. But not only that, it also raises wider questions for a lot of people about what the hell Israel has been doing in, in to Palestinians since 1948. I mean, the, the, the perfect example. <laughs> There was an incident where there were some um, Israeli hostages um, who were waving a white flag shirtless and speaking Hebrew, and the, uh, the, the Israeli occupation forces slaughtered them. And then the, 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 uh, this raises all, all, all sorts of historical precedents where um, you know, Israel has a history of murdering unarmed Palestinians who are waving white flags and they're clearly no, no threat. You know, this is this is blasting past crimes and misdemeanors um, onto headlines and computers and phone screens, you know, the, the world over. Um, it's impossible to have sympathy um, in, in, that in that context for such a, a rotten, mephitic structure. Um, and I, I, the only response of power um, in, in you know, across the West is just straight up censorship. You know, France was going to uh, for uh, to, it was it was desperately trying to pass legislation that would criminalise anti-Zionist act, political activism and writing on a par with anti-Semitism. It was due to massive public pressure that was dropped. Germany has legalized uh, uh, the phrase from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. <laughs> and there are all sorts of you know, utterly vile um, statements made by German officials about um, about Muslims and about uh, in general and Palestinians in particular, and openly stating that, that, that they deserve collective punishment due to the crimes, of, the purported crimes of Hamas. Um, and in Britain, we've just had a, uh, in December, serendipitously enough, a bit of legislation called the National Security Act, which is full of Orwellian kind of thought crime-esque uh, prohibitions and 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 is so utterly vague that I mean I do wonder on a daily basis whether I've just committed a crime by accident <laughs> but you know by token of my writing it state it states that well someone can be working for a foreign power and 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 uh, furthering a foreign power's interests in a criminal way without them knowing or intending to or without the foreign power on whose behalf they are operating even knowing. I mean, like, I mean, that's crazy. And I, I, I made this point um, um, last summer to um, in interviews with um, uh, no, you know, no to war, no to NATO. That like this is this is going to be a pretext for people getting jailed for expressing the wrong opinions on social media because the British government has decided that ooh, suggesting there is a genocide going on in Gaza is Russian disinformation. Therefore, um, you know, like you've committed a crime. Um, it's really quite it's really quite frightening. Um, I feel extremely privileged um, to be in safe, neutral Serbia, uh, which is staying well clear of, of all of these conflicts. No, it is. It is. It is pretty extraordinary that, uh, yeah, if your views or your writings don't aren't aligned with, you know, British foreign policy, for instance, which let's be frank and not very successful. <laughs> uh, look at the things <laughs> that they've backed over the years. I mean, so if you're calling if you're calling balls and strikes, you're like, this is going to be a disaster, or you're acknowledging the fact that the Yemenis are being extremely effective and also acting mm -hmm. as a deterrent against greater powers that somehow undermining confidence uh in the rules-based international order Brit the british foreign policy it's utterly ridiculous tony ben would be like rolling in his grave right now um as as, as would sure many other 
Uh, yeah, and many other British journalists, uh, dead and alive. Um, so it is extraordinary. But I think it's um, this. This seems like a real des uh, acts of desperation to control narratives that clearly cannot be controlled. And it's almost like they're spinning their wheels on this. Now let's talk about war crimes. Now the United States and Britain are not neutral observers of the situation in Gaza. Okay, they're active participants. I would even say some might say Kit co-belligerents uh, in what's happening in Gaza. They're providing arms, material support. More than that, there. I think there was a report Kit of a British drone that was flying over Gaza as the incursions on Khan Yunus refugee camp are taking place this week. I mean, what, uh, how, how, what are the profound impl implications of this? Because what happens if a case comes against the U.S. or, or the U.K.? Let's just talk about the U.K. If they're found or accused yeah, sure. of being guilty. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think that, like, I mean, it, 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 it's, very, it's very important to talk about Britain in this context because, you know, we hear an awful lot about... Uh, U.S. double standards um, on the Biden administration, on the one hand, claiming they're trying to rein in Israel's barbarity, and then on the other, just sending them bombs to just carry on doing this. Um, and, and it's good that we're hearing about this. Um, but I think Britain's role is worthy of, of much greater attention. I wrote something on my Substack um, um, about this a few weeks back. The, the Britain's SAS is almost undoubtedly like directly involved in the genocide, right? Like, so, I mean, the SAS, the, the Special Air Service, this is an elite British Special Forces unit that seems to somehow end up um, it, it, uh, on on site for many massacres. They were on the ground in Srebrenica in Bosnia um, serendipitously when allegedly the, the Bosnian Serbs carried out a genocide of, 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 of unarmed Bosniak uh, males there. They were somehow in Waco when the ATF massacred um, and the people. Um, you know, they, they, get, they get everywhere. Uh, they're like fleas. And so uh, I think it was at the end of last year that there is a very shadowy and little known um, British government run uh, body called the DSMA committee, the Defence and Security Media Advisory Committee. And th this is run by the Ministry of Defence. Uh, it has representatives of MI5 and MI6 and other British government agencies, um, uh, covert and overt. Uh, and they meet with the heads of major newspapers and news outlets in the UK, and they dictate to them what matters related to national security can be reported on and how. National security is obviously a very broad brush, and this could include uh, companies, British companies engaged in criminality and corruption and fraud abroad. This could be considered a national security matter because it would damage Britain's economic relationships or some rubbish like that. And uh, uh, yes, at the end of 2023, the DSMA wrote to the editors of major newspapers in Britain and said, please do not report on the, the, the activities of the SAS in and around uh, Israel, uh, in, with particular reference to quote-unquote counter-terrorist operations. Now, um, reading between the lines, it's quite clear what they meant was, like, don't you dare report on the presence of the SAS in Gaza. So the, the Britain is directly linked to war crimes in Gaza. It is directly linked to the genocide. Um, th there have been, I mean, in an absolutely remarkable case um, I reported on for the Grey Zone, Britain has something called the Chevening Scholarship, which is a foreign British Foreign Office um, program, which provides free education at elite British universities to um, individuals uh, in in all over the 
world. Uh, it's several people who've, who, who are Chevening scholars have gone on to become heads of state in their respective home countries. It is regarded as this crown jewel of British diplomacy. And, and, and in leaked files I've reported on, they openly talk about using it to uh, gain pro-British influences in various regions of countries of, of interest to London. Now, one of the, the Chevening scholars who I think I think it was in 2022 was meeting with the British Foreign Secretary James Cleverly and snapping grinning selfies with him was murdered by Israel in airstrikes. He'd been messaging friends of his with whom he studied in, in, in I think, King's College, uh, which is an elite university in Britain, saying he was terrified of being crushed under rubble. And, you know, then he was. And his family members was, were killed by Israeli snipers when they went to try and rescue him. And uh, this caused a major outcry. And James Cleverly was asked about this. And his response was something to the effect of, oh, well, it's sad when anyone dies. You know, I mean, this is an absolute nightmare for them. And the only response is censorship, criminalization of, dis uh, of dissenting opinions, um, you know, um, <clears throat> several uh, British citizens who've, who've expressed um, uh, solidarity with Hamas, or at least solidarity with Palestinians against the Israeli genocide, have found themselves in court over counter-terror charges. Craig Murray um, is now is seeking asylum in Switzerland. I mean, he's a, a former British diplomat turned whistleblower and dissident, and a tremendous independent journalist. He is now in hiding in Switzerland because he's under investigation for, for terrorism offences. I mean, I myself, at least based on my last interactions with uh, Brit British police, am under criminal investigation for the high crime of investigative journalism. It's the brute force is the only response that power has. No, it is. It is incredible. And again, <clears throat> underscored by let's look at the policies. I mean, look at look at the backing of Ukraine, the proxy war in Ukraine, two years. It can't be objectively measured as a success on any level. And Britain's deeply involved in this conflict. In fact, they're leading this sort of kiboshing all the diplomatic uh, initiatives to get peace from the beginning. They've got special forces on the ground. They've got mercenaries in there. They're providing uh, technical support. Who knows what else for attacks on the uh, Sevastopol uh, Russian Black Sea Fleet Base and so forth, the Kerch Strait Bridge, all of that. Um, they're so deeply involved in it, and it, I can't see it as being a success. So what is the success? Is the success kit just being involved, just being in the action, selling weapon systems? I mean, what? how, do, how does the government define success? No, well, I mean, I think from the U.S. government's perspective, I mean, that their measure of success is, you know, do our weapons firms make enormous amounts of money? Um, and I think, you know, I mean, or, or they're, they're winning there, um, you know, certainly. I mean, this is a huge victory for uh, Raytheon and other major defence contractors. But I, I mean, I think from Britain's perspective that, that since World War II, they have been obsessed with maintaining the, the American empire in order to try and shift it in directions uh, that serve its own interests. I mean, and, and Britain is well aware that its international clout and power and, and, and to a large extent wealth depends on the US empire existing. They're, therefore, they are very, 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 very keen and heavily invested in maintaining that uh, relationship, if you can call it that, 
uh, it often it entails um, conning the US or manipulating US officials into doing their bidding. They're not, not always successful. Um, and I think that the, uh, the, 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 in Ukraine, the, there were, I've reported on this extensively, there's an organization, there was an organization called Integrity Initiative, which was a, a British intelligence black propaganda operation, which um, on its own website, uh, in 2014, published an article which basically stated that the way that we have to deal with Russia is to diplomatically and economically isolate the country and um, uh, through demonize Russia uh, internationally, damage its political relationships. This will lead to, inevitably lead to war of the old fashioned sort, quote unquote, which the West and Britain will win. Um, Integrity Initiative then went about doing that and, and ensuring there could be no diplomatic settlement in, in, in Ukraine, you know, over, over the Donbass and you know, the, the, the Minsk Accords, which uh, Zelensky was elected on an overwhelming, uh, you know, a landslide majority to implement and then did nothing because he was frightened of the far right influences in, 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 in Ukraine, which, you know, are heavily sponsored and funded and armed and trained by Britain and America, of course. And uh, and so, yeah, it was hoped by Britain that, well, th this proxy war with Russia would lead to all out US involvement and, you know, kind of a hot war with soldiers on the ground, um, you know, in, in Western soldiers on the ground in Russia. That hasn't come to pass. And actually, it is a, yes, a major, major defeat that cannot be admitted. And so in that context, I think that Britain is ex probably extremely dangerous now. It is trying to provoke and incite major global conflicts stay relevant. Uh, I mean, it, again, here in the Balkans, there is an enormous fear that many people have of Britain stoking war. I mean, the place is already crawling with British, quote unquote, peacekeepers who are allegedly there to guard against Russian aggression. Whose soldiers have invaded here? It's not Russia's, it's, Brit it's Britain's. Um, they are also um, heavily involved in, in Gaza. And there was this amazing um, Robert Peston, who is this kind of establishment client journalist uh, of, of some standing. On October 8th, like less than, I think it was maybe less, only a little bit more than 24 hours after uh, Operation Al-Aqsa flood started and Hamas um, infiltrated Israel and started taking hostages and, 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 and taking out um, Israeli occupation force bases. Uh, Robert Peston stated that based on British intelligence sources, that this that, that he was certain that this was the start of a major regional war that's going to have implications for much of the world. How did they know at such an early stage unless that's what they were planning for and wanted to happen? No, absolutely. And just on the subject, we've got a couple of minutes left. The Balkans. Yeah. Now, a, a lot of people will view in the West anyway, will view the Balkans as a, uh, let's say, a foothold for NATO to uh, disrupt, uh, to destabilize. Uh, Kosovo is there, as you mentioned. That's more or less a protectorate of the West. Um, and so Britain and the U.S., NATO, um, to maybe interrupt what Russia wants to do in terms of their military objectives, their national security objectives vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Ukraine. Um, what what it what is the sense uh, in the Balkans of this possibility? I know that there's a lot going on politically, domestically, but then the situation in Kosovo has kind of flared up this year. Um, or have people learned their lessons of the past, and they're not going to go for the bait that's going to be laid uh, by the West on that? What do you think, Kit? 
Well, I mean, I think that, yeah, that, I mean, Serbs are, um, I mean, my people, but like they, they are very, very wary. Um, they are choosing the hills they die on very, very carefully because they know that the numerous traps are being set up for them to fall into because they are well aware that the, the, the slightest hint of trouble will be exploited in order to occupy them, bomb them, um, you know, foment regime change. I mean, we saw this at the end of end of last year, that there were these very pathetic, very small scale um, opposition protests following the election because the liberal opposition who most Serbs hate um, lost and they were trying to rationalise their defeat uh, and they claimed that there was widespread fraud that only affected them and not any other political party and they weren't able to they weren't able to prove it and and in the end they were told to go home quite unambiguously by the US um, ambassador here Christopher Hill who's like the real ruler of Serbia and like it, the, it, you know the, 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 there was a flurry of Western media attention on this and, you know there was the, the liberal media like the Guardian's saying that the EU should take action against Serbia. This just turns people further away um, from Europe, you know. And so I think that there is this sense of that, that we're kind of potentially hurtling towards conflict. But people, like, I mean, if, if, if the time comes to fight, people will fight. But they are very wary of doing so now because, yeah, they don't want to walk into a trap. Um, and and yes, the, the the West has been baiting them. Um, there is a, a, a particular bet noir of mine. Uh, is, she's a British parliamentarian called Alicia Kearns, who she's a former um, British intelligence officer of some standing. I mean, she's been stirring up trouble here and referring to the Balkans as as Britain's backyard. Um, and she's horrific, you know, colonialist uh, language. And she has been calling for firm action against Serbia and for Britain beefing up its its. its military presence in in bosnia and kosovo and other kind of f uh, other flashpoints again they are throwing lit matches into a powder keg in the desperate hope that something erupts um today nothing has i credit the sir the, the, the sir public with a lot more wisdom um and sense and patience than that than, than to fall for this yeah, and it is also interesting with the the, the development of the situation in Ukraine has uh, the juxtaposition of the uh, legitimate autonomy of Crimea, for instance, versus Kosovo. That's a debate nobody uh, in the West really oh, wants to engage in, <laughs> among <laughs> other similar state-let debates. But um, I th and, and as well, the situation in Israel, as horrific as it's been, um, it's also really put things into perspective for people, like you said, how they're viewing the this, the Ukrainian conflict versus what Israel's doing to the Palestinians. And you're seeing real war crimes. You're seeing a real genocide take place. That's putting a lot of people on the spot, uh, especially Western leaders, political leaders, been grandstanding for years, uh, dem using demagoguery and all sorts of tropes against Russia, but yet they're silent on Israel. And everybody sees it, Kit. I think the average mm. man on the street, you see the numbers on the street. It's absolutely incredible. So I agree with you. We are seeing a sea change on multiple levels. So very interesting times indeed. But uh, give a shout out as well, Kit, to uh, where people can find your work and on social media. Yeah, sure. So you can find me on Twitter. It's just Kit Clarenberg, um, as you as you mentioned. Um, it, it, I have a Substack, which is kitclarenberg.substack.com. I'm a regular contributor to uh, the, the the Grey Zone. I run the Grey Zone UK, um, which is looking at yeah the Britain's uh, role as 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 America's lapdog in chief. Um, and uh, I but I also contribute to the Cradle and Mint Press regularly. So you can find me on all of these platforms.
Yeah, those are all some of the best uh, the best uh, publications out there. Big shout out to the Cradle as well. It's emerged as one of the best Middle East focused uh, oh, yeah. online journals. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Kit Clarenberg, we really appreciate you joining us on TNT this week. Uh, be safe and look forward to seeing more of your work in future. God bless you. Take care, Patrick. This week, uh, be safe and look forward to seeing more of your work in future. God bless you. Take care, Patrick. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That is Kit Clarenberg. Again, follow the links uh, to his Substack and Gray Zone UK. Also, just take a look, bookmark the Gray Zone, uh, the main website, US based, run by Max Blumenthal. Aaron Matte is also a contributor there. They're doing great work on all this. Look, we're going to dissect some of these stories uh, in the Middle East and geopolitically tomorrow as well. We have a major day tomorrow. We have a surprise guest joining us on Wednesday. So you do not want to miss the broadcast. We'll begin publicizing our guest uh, this evening on social media. Follow us at 21Wire on the X Twitter platform. Listen, until then, folks, take care. Big thank you to Basil Valentine, Blake Lovewell, of course, Kit Clarenberg. All the best, guys. See you soon.